Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Welcome to another episode of Star Wars Action News. I'm Marjorie. I'm Arnie. And we have got a big show this week. There was a Toy Man toy show in St. Louis yesterday, the last of the year. They've really ramped them up for the holiday season. So we're going to have a full report from there, as well as something we haven't done in a while. We're going to take you guys along as we do a big toy run in St. Louis. You're like, probably, what what new toys are you guys buying? What's going on? We'll get to it. But first, we'll start off with a store report. And there's been nothing new figure-wise in our stores lately. I have gotten some really vague confirmations that the new Toys R Us ad-ad is showing up. Not here. The Millennium Falcon was discounted last week. I do know a couple people like Barrett, our podcast enhancer, who jumped on it. I resisted spending even 150 for a box that I would fold up and store. I'm so proud of you. I really am. But there are some gift items that are out there. Yeah, I was perusing the men's boxer shorts at Target because, you know, all girls like to wear men's boxer shorts because they're fun and they're soft and they're fun to run around the house in. They're a little bit longer and they're kind of nice. And I stumbled across their gifty section of underwears and socks and things and they had a whole bunch of things in tins and the only thing they had was star wars which i was surprised because they had so many boxer short sets in tins they only had star wars socks and they come in like a nice little box and there's two pairs there's a yoda and a vader and they're crew socks so i guess you guys could wear them under your dress shoes at work or maybe, you know, hike them up to mid-calf and wear them with your sandals in the summer, whatever you want to do with them. They're kind of cute. They're kind of, eh. I imagine some grandparents are going to get them or some in-laws will be getting them for a number of our listeners. Now, as far as Hasbro toys go, if you bought Wedge on eBay and didn't listen to us when we said, hold off, you'll get him. He'll be re-released. Admittedly, we said that a year ago, but... If you did, you're probably smarting a little bit right now. We've gotten reports on our Facebook page that the Five Below stores, which are a little hard to come by right now, but they are spreading. We're getting one in our town here in just a few months. They're honestly spreading like a disease or a fungus. They are all of a sudden popping up everywhere. But Wedge has been spotted at Five Below, and many people are finding the original release of the Wedge, not the re-release of the Wedge. Ouch. Now, I did spend $20 for him at Brian's Toys to get the C8 guarantee, which at Five Below, you get the stickers and things like that sometimes. But 
Definitely good for openers. Also, another little bit of a stick in the side, Amazon.com lowered their prices on vintage figures. You could get several vintage figures, including the recent Waves and including Wedge, for $5. So if you are an Amazon Prime member or if you bought five Wedges, you'd even get free shipping on that. Ouch. This is just so odd and unusual, and I really wonder if Five Below is going to be changing the landscape of collecting a little bit. I do wonder how much of this is Amazon matching Five Below prices, because Amazon, trying to become the dominant seller of everything, has been matching brick-and-mortar sales on things on a weekly basis. The final wave of vintage figures they had, it was sporadic. It was depending on the figures you wanted, and really, it was what was being sold by Amazon. If it was being sold by a reseller, then... It was still up in the 18 to $20 range, but Amazon lowered their own figure prices, so they were sold out of the really cool ones like the Imperial Guard, but they had some others laying around there. So if you waited and you're not a completist, there were some good savings to be had. If you were like me and ordered a case, you just kind of sat there and felt your wallet weep. But speaking of Wedge and Five Belows... As we talked about a few shows ago, we sold the zombie stormtrooper donated to us to raise funds for Toys for Tots, and we also have bought some Toys for Tots ourselves outside of that money, but it came on the news this week that our Toys for Tots is having a record low donation year in this area, at least, and toys just aren't being donated like they have in years past. Personally, I'd like to blame the economy, except all signs are that the economy's better this year than it has been in years past. Holiday spending is up this year versus years past, according to some of the news articles I've read. So it seems like people are, maybe because the economy is improving, not focusing so much on the Toys for Tots charity this year. And so we've really stepped it up ourselves. I'd picked up, outside of the Zombie Stormtrooper pack, one of the eight-figure Walmart packs for Toys for Tots. I've picked up some other stuff for Toys for Tots. But we wanted to take you guys with us as we went on a shopping spree with that zombie money. And we want to make the most out of the money on this trip because, obviously, the more presents we can get, the more children will have something under the tree at Christmas. Exactly. So we are trying to get toys with kids in mind, not collectors, and try to find fun stuff and take that 150 zombie dollars and stretch them absolutely as far as we can. And I've actually got some coupons saved up for Target, where if you spend so much, you get a gift card. And the same for Toys R Us, which then I'll turn right around and make that gift card more into more toys. So we went down to St. Louis for the Toy Man Toy Show and did some shopping for kids. And here's what we found. So we just made our first purchase at a Walmart in Collinsville, Illinois, which is right outside of St. Louis. And I went in, and they still had a bunch of those Black Friday eight-packs of Clone Wars figures, which ours back home also still have stacks of. And almost every Walmart I go to seems to still have the Clone Wars ones. The Marvel and the Movie Heroes ones sold out. But the Clone Wars ones, in abundance. Well, that's good, because that's going to make a wonderful present for somebody. Eight figures. That's awesome. Eight in one package. It should be awesome for them. And I went through, and I found what I think is the best eight-pack for a kid, as if they watch Clone Wars, they're absolutely going to love this. It has all the hero characters. It had Cad Bane, Anakin, Obi-Wan, Captain Rex, another clone, 
a battle droid. So I think this is a really good set. Count Dooku. That was the one that really made this set go over the top, as it had Anakin, Obi-Wan, Count Dooku, and Cad Bane. Seems like a really fun set for a kid, because he's not going to necessarily care about the more esoteric R2 units or Serapis. No, I think you made a great choice by finding one with a lot of the heroes and villains in it, so they can actually have their own start-off-the-bat play kind of set thing there. It's probably the only purchase we'll make at a major retailer, unless, as you mentioned earlier, we find a way to utilize some of the coupons at a Toys R Us or a Target, but eight figures for $25, it is a great start for the Toys for Tots collection today. We just did a double stop at Gravoy Bluffs in Fenton, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis. It's a nice little shopping area. Bluffs is accurate. It's full of hills. But we discovered this a couple weeks ago for the first time when on a toy run. And right near each other, they had a Five Below store, which we don't have back home, as well as a TJ Maxx. Good places to find some toys. I went into Five Below. No vintage figures at all, but... They had a sale, three for $5 on little puzzles, and I thought that would be good stocking stuffer-type gifts. They also had the mini Transformers for $5, so I picked that up. And I was really thinking role-play items. They had the Captain Rex Blaster Gun for $5 as well. So I grabbed all of those, adding $15 more to the Toys for Tots pile. And then we went to TJ Maxx. Since you said you were looking for role-playing items, I found the role-playing masks, and they had Vader, a clone trooper, and General Grievous. Those were 10 apiece, so we picked those up as well. We're up to $80 on our $150 shopping spree. Probably done for Saturday, and we'll see what we can find at Toy Man tomorrow, as well as other stores in the area on Sunday. Well, we hit another Five Below this morning, and it seems the collectors have cleared out the Five Below's of all vintage figures, from what we can tell. Yeah, there's not a single Star Wars action figure at all. I was kind of hoping to get some of the vintage figures to put into the box, because that way, in addition to the eight packs of figures, we could have had figures to spread around a little more at a bit of a higher price, but a higher figure, but... They didn't have anything except more of the Transformers and the Captain Rex blasters, and so now, having hit all of the cheap shops and we know of, the question is, do we just buy more of what we have, more of the figure eight packs, or just donate the remaining $80 in cash to our local center versus, like, Toys R Us, where it may not go locally? I know that our local chapter of the Toys for Tots is accepting cash because they said that they do have some age groups that they're not getting toys for. Now, I will admit that I have a certain age range that I am able to buy for, and they're looking for stuff for little kids and for teens. So I don't know what I would buy there for little kids and teens, for little, little, little kids. So giving the cash may be a good idea. Yeah, we're going to head and drop these off at a Toys for Tots center now, and then... We looked at the sales this week in case there were good sales for stuff, but didn't find anything that was really good as far as kid-type stuff. 
yeah, I didn't see anything that would be good for any of the age ranges that they've talked about. And nothing that was really a good sale where I can maximize my money. Now, I do know our local chapter does have some places that give them significant price breaks with the cash that they take in. So they may be able to buy more toys for the $80 than we could, even trying to stretch it the way we are. Exactly. So that is probably what we will do. And we'll take it back to the studio. It's always fun doing something like that. You know, I didn't grow up with a whole bunch of money when I was little, and now I'm in a comfortable situation, and we don't have children. And if I have to really struggle to buy something for Arnie, then I really shouldn't spend that money, and maybe I should spend it on someone who needs something else. I completely agree. We did bring those toys home to donate to our local Toys for Tots, even though we were in St. Louis doing the shopping, because it's the local one that reported they really needed the help. But please, I implore you all to... Look at your collecting and think about a child who won't have a toy this holiday season and to go out and at least put something in. I never do the, at Toys R Us, would you like to donate a dollar for Toys for Tots? And I always feel a little bit like a Scrooge when I say no, I don't want to give that dollar. But what I like to do is buy actual toys and put them in the bin versus a dollar, which cumulatively could buy some toys, but... This year, it's just not helping enough people. So. Well, you never know how much they get. That's yeah. my only concern. There's a big story in our local news about the Humane Society that's national. They don't give any money to the local Humane Society. So every time you're at PetSmart and you're checking out and you're donating dollars to the Humane Society, it's not helping animals in your area. And I think that's the same for Toys for Tots. And I'd much rather keep my dollars local. So that is our store run. But joining us now is... Our reporter, Jonathan, who you can hear over on Republic Forces Radio Network talking Clone Wars with his segment on the pegs, looking at some vintage figures. Hey, everyone. I'm Jonathan, and this is On the Pegs. Well, maybe this week we should call it Empty Pegs, at least for me. Since Black Friday, I've been hearing all sorts of reports of people finding lots of hard-to-find figures at Toys R Us, Walmart, and even Five Below. But, unfortunately for me, with one notable exception, the pegs in my area have been picked cleaner than a turkey on Thanksgiving Day. It's been one of those disheartening times in the life of a collector, when you feel like everyone else is finding new stuff except for you. The one notable exception for me was actually on Black Friday at my local Walmart. It was a bit later in the afternoon when that calm has descended on the battlefield of people trying to get incredible deals on out-of-date electronics, and I was walking through the toy section just to see what might be left, and I found, much to my surprise, a red bandana kithaba. Now, it was the only figure on the peg, so I was a bit confused, but not confused enough not to pick it up. It was a bit of a bittersweet find for me because a few weeks ago I had given up ever seeing one of these in the wild and had purchased it on eBay. And, uh, well, I paid a little bit more than the $9 that I spent at Walmart that day, but we won't go into it. At Amazon right now, they're having a 50% off sale on the Wolfpack Battle Pack. They are also having sales on various single vintage figures from the last wave, as low as $7 for some of the newer figures such as the Obi-Wan or the Naboo Pilot. At the Lego Shop Online, they're having the Star Wars Advent Calendar for 50% off, which is a really nice deal, and if you order it now, you might be able to get it before the holiday. Because I haven't been finding much in the way of new stuff in the stores, I have resorted to my backup plan, which is finding vintage. Now, I picked up something this week that has always been on my wish list. 
It was one of those things that I never got the first time when I collected Star Wars figures back in the day. So when I had the opportunity to pick one up, I jumped on it. And that was the Power of the Force Jabba's Skiff. This is just an outstanding piece. And I know that they've re-released it at least twice in the modern era, but there's something about having this vintage one that it feels right. (laughs) I can't really put it any other way. It was one of those things that when it was out, I was getting out of Star Wars. I was moving into other toys, other interests. I never saw it in the stores, but I also never really actively searched for it. It is in really good shape. It obviously has been played with a little bit, but not beat on. It came with a box, but no inserts or directions. And when I brushed it off, blew off some of the dust, it just looks outstanding on my shelf next to some of my other vintage items. But if you want to add a skiff to your collection, or if you want to add any modern or vintage items that you're missing, head on over to Brian's Toys. They have a huge selection of both vintage and modern. And remember, when checking out at Brian's Toys, please let them know that you heard about them on Star Wars Action News. This week, since I can't talk too much about what I'm finding in stores or online, I decided that it would be a good opportunity to review the final wave of the Vintage Collection. This final wave was an online exclusive and contained 12 individual figures, but I'm only going to be reviewing 8 of the 12 here. The Aura Singh, Naboo Pilot, Gungan Warrior, and Mahonic were all previously released as part of the Walmart exclusive Episode 1 wave earlier this year. So, as these figures are identical to those earlier releases except for the card backs, I'm not going to review them this time. The first figure we're going to talk about is the Ahsoka figure from the Clone Wars done in the realistic style. Looking at this figure, it has spectacular sculpting on the body and very, very good use of soft goods. To my eye, though, there seems to be something off in the face or the head. Maybe it's just the head tails are a little too short but it just looks out of proportion. The second figure is Obi-Wan in his Clone Wars armor. Again, like Ahsoka, a really good sculpt of the body and good use of the soft goods. But when compared to the size of his torso, his face seems a bit gaunt, like he's been living on rations for a while. That aside, the articulation is excellent and really well hidden on the figure, probably because he is a partially armored figure. Third figure is Lumot, the Ewok, and this is a reuse of the low-gray body that we got about a year ago with a new head. This is pretty typical of the Ewoks we've been seeing coming out of Hasbro lately. Decent sculpt, lots of accessories, but really nothing outstanding about the figure itself. The best thing about this figure, though, to my mind, is the new bow accessory. It actually holds an arrow. It's so cool. You can't actually fire it, but it really is a nice upgrade to what we've seen before. The Emperor's Royal Guard figure might be one of the two most sought-after figures of this final wave. It's actually almost two figures in one, with all the accessories, the two helmets, and the removable cloak. The articulation, like most of the Vintage Collection, is top-notch as well. I'm probably going to need to find a spare one of these so I can display him both ways, as the Return of the Jedi Guard and in his Crimson Empire outfit. This is probably the best Royal Guard since the vintage one, in my opinion. Nine Numb has always been a favorite figure of mine since the mail-away in 1983. 
This Nine Numb has just a phenomenal face sculpt, and he looks really good in the BMF next to the uh, Vintage Collection Lando from Earlier Waves. So the two of them give you a good reason to buy that vintage-packaged Millennium Falcon so you can have that Battle of Endor diorama. Anyone? Anyone? The Weegway is another all-new figure sculpt, and he is a real solid addition to the line. The articulation stands out a bit. His knees are a different color, so it's really quite noticeable. But his face sculpt really captures all the wrinkles in his face and the top knot. A welcome upgrade from the Power of the Force 2 figure, which, while it's been repainted several times, hasn't been re-sculpted since 1997. The Republic Trooper from the Old Republic game is the other highly sought-after figure from this wave. He's a nice figure, but I've always been a fan of the Armored Troopers. Even though he's from the Old Republic game, he's got a look that would fit in well with any prequel-era figures. He's another figure packed with a boatload of accessories. Arnie, you may want to open this one in a Tupperware container or something because he's packed with lots of little pieces that are just waiting to get lost. The last figure in this wave is Pruneface. Sorry, I'm not even going to attempt his in-universe name. And anyway, he's always going to be Pruneface to me. This figure is another example of the right way to use soft goods in the three and three quarter inch line. It's a minor detail, but I really think it's neat how his comlink fits into his poncho. This wave is probably one of the strongest we've seen in the current vintage collection. It's a good range of figures that represent excellent sculpts, great accessories, and gorgeous cards. Unfortunately, if you didn't pre-order it, you may have a difficult time getting the complete case anywhere but on eBay. Some of the online retailers that I've spoken with indicated that demand was higher than anticipated and Hasbro shipped fewer cases than they expected. However, if you can get your hands on these figures, I highly suggest that you do. Well, that's it for this wave, the current vintage line, and, well, for me this week. Until next time, keep searching the pegs. Thank you, Jonathan. I always enjoy your segments. And again, Jonathan is the newest host of Republic Forces Radio Network, and there was a new episode of that podcast that just came out last Friday, so check it out at republicforces.com. Now, recently, the latest book in the Old Republic series was released, and this is by author Drew Carpetian, who did the Darth Revan novels. And joining us now is Brock with his thoughts on that novel. This is Brock, Star Wars Action News Book Club Liaison with a spoiler-free as possible review of Star Wars The Old Republic Annihilation by Drew Carpetian. Review copy courtesy of Delray Books. It is 40-plus years into the war between the Republic and the Sith. The Sith's war efforts are on the wane, yet they are kept in the war because of their powerful new ship, the Ascendant Spear, which can symbiotically connect to its leader, Darth Korid, turning the tide of every battle it takes part in. Republic Intelligence offered Theron Shan, talented field agent who gets impressive results but often bends the rules to do it, gets paired with Jedi Master Nost Dural, Darth Korid's former master, to execute the multi-step plan to take out the Ascendant Spear with hopes to end the war with the Sith once and for all. Such is the plot of Star Wars The Old Republic Annihilation. 
I have read Drew Carpetian's Darth Bane novels, and if you've listened to my reviews of those three books, which you can find in the archives at SWActionNews.com, you know that overall I had a good time with that trilogy. Pleasantly surprised, in fact, that I had such an enjoyable reading experience. And here, the author's strengths are again on display. Like other Carpetian books, Annihilation is an easy read, full of friendly prose and a story unburdened by the abundance of plot twists or crazy narrative structure. His prose isn't needlessly stuffed, and his descriptions of environments and action pieces are some of the more reader-friendly in the Star Wars EU. With this book, I did see some forays into deeper storytelling and character work that perhaps we will see even more of in his next Star Wars adventure, but more on that later. The big issue I always have with stories set in this Old Republic era is context. Besides the cast of characters, this feels like movie-era Star Wars, not 5,000 years before those events. The technology we see in the movies is all here. And there's a Republic and an Empire, Sith and Jedi. Was there no giant technological advancement in 5,000 years in this galaxy? While I have read the other Old Republic novels, I have not played the MMORG that they are connected to, nor have I read the associated comics. I do know Satil and Theron's ancestor, Bastilashan, from the Xbox Knights of the Old Republic video game, so I do have that connection. There is a lot of talk of previous missions that Theron, Tefeth, Satil, and Jace, and other characters were on, and apparently these are references to the Old Republic comic book series, specifically an arc called The Lost Sons. And while this book falls squarely in the Old Republic timeline, and does have these links to the comics, Annihilation is a standalone adventure you can enjoy without prior reading. These other missions are well explained in this narrative, and I didn't really feel I was missing all that much by not having read the comics. I am curious now, though, how much more someone who has read the comics could have gotten out of these characters in this book. The action scenes are plentiful. We don't go too long between action scenes and Annihilation. Not all of them are space battles or lightsaber duels, but more mission-based adventure. Once the plot to bring down the Ascendant Spear goes into full swing, we get the most enjoyable action in the book, even more than the finale that has two battles going on simultaneously in true Star Wars fashion. To take down the Ascendant Spear, Theron and Nost must first steal a black cipher from the Sith Minister of Logistics. This cipher would allow them to spy on the Empire to find out where the Ascendant Spear will be to then board the ship and destroy it from within. But the cipher has to be stolen so no one knows it was stolen. So an elaborate plan is hatched to replace a good cipher core with a burned out one recovered from an Imperial ship. So this book quickly becomes Mission Impossible Star Wars. Break into a severely secure building for Piece 1 that will then allow Piece 2, the big objective, destroy the ship, to be met. An enjoyable read, but not one shred of doubt they will accomplish the goal of the mission. <laughs> the fun then lies in seeing what roadblocks the author comes up with for them to navigate around. So while I do think this part was the most enjoyable portion of the book, the way Theron gets the security code and the retina scan information to break into the cipher, the rigmarole to switch out the cipher core. While the Star Wars is in these details, I had a hard time shaking the been there, done that feel of it all. And I felt that throughout the book, not just here in this section. The main character, Theron, is slick, sneaky, one step ahead, and while not a smuggler, he is, of course, reminiscent of Han Solo and other smuggler characters. His cybernetic implants gave him a Boba Fett-type edge at times, and that was pretty cool, too. Of all the characters in the book, while we do learn the most about Theron with all the backstory and adventures we get with him here, I found Theron to be like the Jax Pavan character from the Coruscant Night books. Likeable when you read him, but not all that remarkable after the fact. 
Theron's friend Tefeth has a nice attitude to her, and she and Theron's contentious relationship, while that backstory is never satisfyingly explained, becomes a recurring, almost a running gag in this book. Tefeth has a great laugh-out-loud gag line at the end of the book that I was so happy the author provided her and the reader. I won't give it away, but what I will say is I was thinking the same thing as I was reading the paragraphs, and then she said it. <laughs> that was fun. The other characters in this book, Jace, Satil, Jedi Master Nyost, Darth Korid, all of them are easily identifiable, but I really didn't get to know them all that well. We have role fillers instead of memorable characters. The author expertly introduces them all to us, and I quickly was able to get a read on them by the types of roles they were filling for the story. And while I can honestly say I was never bored reading this book, I wasn't terribly compelled by it either, and that's probably because none of these characters were resonating strongly with me. And I found that strange because given what's in this book, the author gave himself plenty of opportunities to do just that. Annihilation starts with a promising prologue. Satil Shan, hero of the Jedi Order, Paragon was the word used in the book, secretly gives birth to a son, Theron. Because she knows her maternal instincts would compromise her rationality, because she knows the Jedi Order needs her, she gives her son to another Jedi Master, Jedi Master Nagini Sho, to raise. Master Sho helped conceal Satil's pregnancy to help prevent the scandal. For if the followers of the Jedi thought the leadership they looked up to, revered as symbols of the right way to do something, were caught in activities that went against the very foundations they were preaching, it can cost them respect and can cause people to question their loyalties, allegiances, and beliefs. In this day and age, in the real world, it seems this sort of thing happens to our leadership and elected officials all too often. Our nightly news is full of politicians or respected individuals caught in behavior and cover-ups that alter their public personas and prevents them from continuing their careers effectively, or in some cases, at all. Wouldn't it be great to have a Star Wars book that explores this real-world issue, but in the Star Wars vein? Satil's conspiracy works for 20-something years, and this secret is told to many people throughout the course of this particular book, and none of them seem to care about the implications. Given Theron is an adult, it seems like it's a non-issue to those outside the family. And this sort of thing happens throughout reading Star Wars The Old Republic Annihilation. These grand ideas and themes are brought up that I like, and yet they are dealt with and resolved in a lighter way than I think they warrant. Another example. Unlike Anakin Skywalker, Satil made the other choice, turning her back on the attachments she was feeling for the child and her man, realizing she'd compromise herself and the Republic if she continues down the path with her lover, whom she saw was starting to justify wrong decisions because of personal emotional attachments. Putting that into the context of Star Wars that we know from the movies, I thought the author was going to explore an account of what if Anakin Skywalker made the other choice? What if Anakin Skywalker had not allowed his emotions to control him to that extent and allow others to manipulate him so much because of emotional irrationality. Would be. And through this character of Satil, what a great opportunity to explore the fallout of making the other decision to put the galaxy ahead of personal need. But it turns out this book isn't that book. I was projecting that upon the book, thinking this piece would have more relevance to that fact. We do get a bit of a confrontation scene between Theron and Satil, where they finally have their talk about the past. The conversation between a mother and son who both understand the reasons the mother made her choice, and yet they are both still dealing with the consequences of that decision. Even though Theron says he understands, we get he's a little bitter. 
he's being sarcastic, mocking the Jedi platitudes, and Satil is patient with him throughout all of it. Unfortunately, though, this scene lacks an emotional punch that Saiyan Aaron Alstein could give it. It came across a little too melodramatic instead of dramatic. And again, I couldn't help but feel unfulfilled at the briskness of the resolution of this conversation and where the characters are at the end of it, as it was hardly if ever brought up again for Theron. He just goes back to being the action hero of the book. The best character scene in the book comes when Theron calls into Jace, the head of the Republic military, regarding an attack on a Republic world, and Theron finds out what sorts of decisions the heads of government have to make in the name of the greater good, the needs of the greater outweighing the needs of the few, to quote Star Trek II. And as presented here, we get both sides of the argument, where the government side is and where Theron's mind is. Theron is all about why wouldn't the government do what it can to save all of its citizens all of the time, and the government side of to make a move now will prolong the fighting and patience is needed to make the big move so they can end the war for good. Once again, this book is presenting some big quandaries, some potentially big issues, but the magnitude isn't fully explored. Star Wars The Old Republic Annihilation is full of familiar characters, plot situations, and emotional catalysts. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Some sense of familiarity is why we keep coming back to these Star Wars books in the first place, right? If you watch a movie like, say, The Expendables 2, it is full of familiar character types and plotting, delivering an adventure you'd expect given who's involved. Star Wars Annihilation is an enjoyable adventure, filling a need, a Star Wars entertainment you can just take in and enjoy while you are experiencing it. Nothing really wrong with that. I would have enjoyed a deeper exploration into some of the themes and character ideas that were brought up in this narrative, but that isn't what this novel had in mind. If your loved one or family member gives you a copy of Annihilation for the Holidays, for about 285 pages, you should get your Star Wars fix. While Annihilation isn't a trailblazing Star Wars novel, it is a quick and enjoyable enough read that there is no reason to tell you I don't recommend it. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Brock. Next up, we have Steve the Ginger Prince with another one of his wonderful reports. Season's greetings, all. This is Steve the Ginger Prince, UK reporter for Star Wars Action News, and I'm checking in with a final UK report for 2012. Maybe a final ever UK report, if those Mayans did their sums right. Do I sound different this week? If I do, it's because I'm another year older, having just turned the same age as Marjorie last week. It would appear that a number of the Swan staff are hitting the big 4-0 next year. If I was feeling old, then the lovely Suzanne did her best to make me feel young again, by giving me a Darth Vader teddy from Build-A-Bear as a present. The tubby lord of the Sith, as I'm going to call him, is already carrying his holiday weight, as he's well and truly been stuffed, and he has pudgy bits sticking out from beneath his tight-fitting black outfit, and his helmet is squashed on snugly. He's got a menacing roar in his paw, and Vader's red lightsaber which powers up and down and has some great sound effects. I'm not going to add Build-A-Bears to the lines that I collect, but he's going to add a little difference to my collection room. Whilst I'm talking about my birthday presents, I'll give a shout-out to my in-laws, who bought me a cracking Haynes Manual t-shirt featuring the incomplete second Death Star. 
The Haynes owner's workshop manuals were a fixture and fitting of British life in the 70s and 80s, with every home having one, just in case the family car needed a bit of repair. And it's great to see lots of tongue-in-cheek takes on them around nowadays. I already own an Atat Haynes manual shirt, and I love this Death Star Mark II version, even if it is incorrectly labelled as the original Death Star. Right, enough about my presence. Let's get on with the reason I'm currently in your ears. I want to talk about two things this week. Firstly, I want to share with you my continued success at toy fairs. And then I want to return to one of the most hottest topics of Celebration 6, Star Tots. So, having had some success at a toy fair in September, I was chuffed that I didn't have to wait long until the next one, as Mr Potter was visiting the Trafford Centre, the largest shopping complex in the UK. That's Barry Potter, not Harry Potter. You know my strong feelings about that wand-waving bollocks. If you've not heard me discuss Barry Potter toy fairs before on the podcast, they're similar to the toy man toy fairs that Arnie and Marjorie often attend, with a large open space being filled with anywhere between 100 to 350 vendors, selling a variety of toys from Hornby trains to creepy dolls, and if you're lucky, some Star Wars goodness. At the September Toy Fair, I made a discovery. Episode 1, Hong Kong Issue Figures. And I purchased a Senator Palpatine figure. Now, if you missed that episode, I know little about the origin of these figures other than what I've gained from my growing first-hand experience with them. They're Episode 1 figures that appear to have been made from proper moulds, but then been shoddily painted in different colour schemes and stuck on smaller-than-usual, badly-printed cards without the Comtec chip and not necessarily containing all the accessories. They're clearly some kind of bootleg, possibly originating from the Far East, and I've fallen in love with their charm of not even being close to looking like the real thing. I paid a quid for the Palpatine, and had my beady eyes peeled to see if I could spot any more this time around. To my delight, the same vendor was there, and he had a couple of plastic totes full of carded figures from a variety of waves, all in terrible condition. I had a good route through the tubs, and hit the jackpot, scoring four of these fugly things. The vendor must have seen the please look on my face, as he charged me £1.50 per figure. I need to be a little bit more like Lady Gaga and work on my poker face. So let's start by talking you through my favourite, Watto, like you've never seen him before. You thought that the slave-owning Toydarian from The Phantom Menace was a sort of greeny-blue colour, didn't you? Well, over in Hong Kong, it appears that they thought he was red with black wings. This figure is hilarious. Make sure you can see him on the Enhanced Podcast or on the photos on the website. He's got bulging eyes, black arms, and he's missing his data pad. The bubble is falling off the card, but I don't care about the condition. I just love this zany little guy. The second Hong Kong issue I picked up was Padme Nabari after a bad day at the salon. Padme seems to have stolen Watto's datapad, having two instead of the one she was originally packed with. Way more important, though, is the fact that she appears to have done a makeup in the dark. Her lips are smudged with a bright red lippy. She's got a unibrow in her future. And girl, who did her hair? Those blonde streaks are so 90s. The card with this figure is much better than the one behind Watto, and it's another fine addition to this bizarre collection. The third figure I found was another Palpatine, but this time in his alter ego of Darth Sidious. Again, the bubble on this card is terribly glued, putting Palpy at an unnatural slant. The original figure is a textured cloak, and a hood that does a good job of half covering the eyes of the Sith Lord. But the hood on this guy is a bit higher, and Sidious is definitely eyeballing you. The eyes on this figure scare me. They're, they're cold, soulless, black pits, and they remind me of the eyes of Bruce the Shark from Jaws. The cloak lacks any kind of texture, instead being that smooth, oily black plastic more reminiscent of the 70s and 80s action figures. Last but not least in this odd quad of figures 
is Hong Kong Roger Roger. There were a number of Episode 1 battle droids produced in 1999 in a variety of colourings, but you've not seen anything until you've seen this shiny gold guy. The card and bubble are much better on this figure, but what's the colour scheme about? He's not 3PO gold. Vac metalising is obviously beyond the budget of these bootleggers. Instead, they've dipped the droid in a light gold paint that would make him stand out on any battlefield. And his crowning glory? A pair of purple blasters. Amazing. So, I've put each of these four figures and the Palpatine that I picked up last time in a star case, and this little corner of weirdness is now a great talking point in my collection room. Again, I urge you, if you're just listening to the podcast, make the effort to watch the enhanced version, or view the photos of these guys on the website. I promise it'll be worth your effort. From the ridiculous to the sublime, the second topic I wanted to bring to this week's table was a much grander part of my collection. By far one of the hottest exclusives at Star Wars Celebration 6 in August, perhaps just a smidge behind the patches, were the Star Tots that were given out by the awesome collecting track. As you know, along with a number of the hard-working staff of Star Wars Action News, I volunteered to work the collecting track and got up close and personal with the Star Tots and grew to love them over the four days of the con. As a volunteer, I was lucky enough to pick up one of only 350 full sets of Star Tots, along with a great cardboard carton to house them. But that wasn't it. I was also given a great promotional poster for the Tots, and a special plaque in the shape of the logo. The plaque is a lovely burnished pewter on the reverse, and is engraved with a reminder of the fun times we had working with the collecting track. Back in 2010, I was also lucky enough to have given to me a full set of the collecting track giveaway in that year, the cereal boxes. It was a very kind gift. And when I'd finished eating the Cheerios, and I'd got through the drama of getting them back to the UK in good nick, I set about making sure I housed them properly. After a bit of investigation, I found a company at a toy fair called Showcases Online, run by a quirky old couple called Sandra and Ian, who, as it happens, are located just a couple of miles from my home. They built me a custom case to house the cereal boxes in their cardboard holder for about 50 quid. The acrylic case has a hinged door that closes with neat little clips and has a wall hanging so it can adorn the wall of my collection room. So good was the quality of the cereal box case that I asked showcases online to build me two giant acrylic cases to house my loose three and three quarter inch action figure and Galactic Heroes collections. Costing hundreds of pounds, but designed by me, the cases took six months to produce, but in the intervening time I redesigned my collection room to house them, and they're now the proud focal point of my collection. Upon getting the Star Tots home, another feat considering all the Disney stuff that Suzanne had bought and stuffed in the suitcases, I investigated a number of ways of displaying the Star Tots. My initial thought was to put them side by side in a giant wall hanging, so you could see them all at once, but that wouldn't make use of the cardboard carton or the poster. I chatted with fellow Man United fan Chris, Jedi Yoda 7 on the forums, and he found a great site called Oscar's Cases, which are doing individual cases for the tots at a price of $10 a pop. These would look great, but I haven't really got the room for them, and after a few emails to Oscar, I found that the cost to ship 20 of them from Mexico to the UK was going to be prohibitive. So I turned to showcases online again, and I got them to make me a simple, clear acrylic case with a raised black base. The case houses the card carton with the tots in, and every couple of weeks I rotate them so three new tots take centre stage. The plaque sits in front of them within the case and I got the poster framed and it hangs on the wall behind. My collection room is also my office so the case actually sits on top of one of my two filing cabinets and it's a great reminder of all the fun that I had in room W304 earlier this year. I'm interested to hear how you display your tots. Do you own a full set? If you've just got one or two, how are you putting them on show? I'm going to start a thread in the forums and I want you to... 
Get your tots out for the lads. You know, post some pictures of what you're doing with these lovely little fellas. Okay, that'll do for me for now. It's been another great collecting year, and it's time to hand you back to those hosts with the most, Marjorie and Arnie. Thank you, Steve. Now, as Arnie mentioned previously, we went again to the Toy Man Toy Show, which really has turned into a monthly, every six-weekly trip for us to go down to St. Louis and shop for toys. I have really enjoyed going. I look forward to it every time. By the same token, I hope they lighten up after the holidays because they get expensive. Yeah, it's our new shopping mall. And what's funny is we've been going so often, my father has been asking me questions, and he's super excited. He wants to go with us sometime because he can't believe that they still have toys from when he was the kid. I'm like, yeah, there's everything from toys from the 30s to toys that just came out in the store yesterday that you're probably going to pay too much for. But it's always a good place to pick up knickknacks, weird stuff, interesting things. You never know. There's just different vendors every time. If you're anywhere near St. Louis, it's on Sundays, every six weeks, every eight weeks, every once in a while. just depends. Check the website. And it's a good time. It's four bucks to get in for regular hours, nine to two. And if you go early bird, it's $12 to get in for early bird. Which we did this time. Yeah, we wanted to get an early start and get the good stuff since it's Christmas. So here is our report right after leaving the Toy Man Toy Show. So we just left the Toy Man Toy Show in St. Louis, and it was our first time being early birds, which means you arrive an hour earlier but pay three times as much. And we also get to have dinner at 4.30, right? (laughs) That's right. I didn't even put that connotation together. It's only $12 to get in, but it's worth it if you are a fan of not being claustrophobic. Yeah, this is a large toy show in a smaller area, and as they add tables, they kind of scrunch the aisles together, and it was nice to be able to walk and be unencumbered. I didn't have to bump into anybody, and only when the doors opened for the regular people did it start to fill up. And stink. There was a guy that smelled like horses. There was another guy who just had consent. He obviously hadn't showered before coming at 9 o'clock in the morning, but oof. Although I have to say there's a disadvantage to being an early bird is that some of the retailers aren't early birds. And not that they didn't pay, it's just they didn't wake up. Yeah, some of them just didn't show up, it looks like. They had quite a few empty tables, which is very unusual for this toy show. Well, people were just starting to set up at some of those tables as we were finishing up. And I was kind of watching them bring out their wares. Normally, we arrive more around the 10 o'clock hour and everybody's there. The nice thing, though, was we got first dibs at the collectibles and got to look at everything without feeling rushed or feeling like cattle moving through, speaking of the horse guy. Yeah, it was really nice to be able to look at a leisurely pace. It was kind of like a Sunday at a regular convention early in the morning where it's just kind of dead and quiet. Everybody's still drinking their coffee and eating their donuts. It was really nice. That said, I think because of the holidays, a lot of the vendors who we've dealt with before weren't out in force. There wasn't a whole lot there of interest. No, there really wasn't. It was a little bit disappointing. There were a few interesting things. There was a Star Wars carded Boba Fett figure. Now, carded might be a bit of a misnomer as it was 
held in a bubble that was attached to a piece of paper that had a Star Wars logo. It was trashed, but it was still Boba Fett on a Star Wars card. I would never buy it for myself because I just look at it and then go out and spend exorbitant amounts on a replacement that was in better condition. So I just best not to go down that path and wait for the good condition one anyway. But it was kind of cool to see. We did end up with a couple of novelties, though. Yeah, we got you a... Return of the Jedi comb and comb keeper. Because my hair is a little unruly today? No, because it was really cute with Max Rebo's band on it. $4 for a tchotchke from 1983, absolutely. Yeah, it was nice. It was really cute. Good condition on the card, too. No creases or anything. Just like a little fun thing reminiscent of that era. And then I also picked up three Star Wars posters. They were 10 each or three for 15 Even if you only wanted one, you'd be better off going three for 15. I think the guy did bad math. I think maybe he hadn't had his coffee yet, because normally it's 10 each, three for 25. Yeah, I think you got a deal on those. Now, they are copyright 1977. Judging by the wonderful condition and lack of yellowing, I'm pretty sure they're reprints, but they're really cool art. We had seen these once before. If you go way back in the archives to the Toys in Odd Places episode where we did a whole bunch of antique shows and things like that, we found some of these in these crappy frames at a crappy, humid antique store, but passed on them after some hemming and hawing at far more than, stay on the road, dear, at far more than $15 because they were completely ruined from humidity. They'd become warped and wavy. Yeah, and you know, I really don't care if they're a reproduction anyway, because I'm not buying it because it's an original poster. I'm buying it because I like it. Exactly. I thought they were very cool. And, you know, as we continue to build the new collection area, it's nice because these came on a cardboard back, so they're going to be well protected. I don't have to worry about rolling them and keeping them in a tube and having the ends get dinged up over time. So that was pretty nice. Yeah, but I'm still stand by the fact that the best thing for posters are the wrapping paper st- Sterilite or Rubbermaid totes that have the nice cover on them, too, that keeps your posters nice. Now, you almost got another addition to your Jar Jar collection, the 12-inch Hasbro Jar Jar from 99. It was marked at $7. It was, and I was all ready to buy them as soon as I could get the guy's attention. It was like standing at a bar with a 20 trying to get someone to get me a drink. But then you notice that he had a big black smudge on his nose, so I put him back and didn't get him. I know I can get you a better one for a better price. It's not that Jar Jar is a coveted figure that people fight after. No, people usually are relieved when I buy them and give me free other Jar Jar things because they're so excited to move Jar Jar stuff. So that is the last Toy Man for the year. There is a Belleville toy show next weekend that we may go to because... I'm wondering if some of the vendors I was looking for here today aren't here because they're doing Belleville next week. That could very well be. But I highly suggest checking it out. There were a lot of new modern Star Wars figures, some of the hard-to-find ones. They were anywhere between 10 and 30 a figure, but depending on what you're looking for, if you just need one or two, there were a ton of General Kraken and that wave. There were some Gamorians, a lot of those figures out there. I was good on all of those, so I just kind of glanced and saw what they were. There was also the mail-away Boba Fett prototype armor, the all-white Boba Fett, and the guy was only asking 25 apiece for those, and that's a really good price for that Boba Fett. Yeah, it was a really good price for that, and he had quite a few. He had like five or six, but I was good on that figure as well. 
I do always highly recommend, though, if you are anywhere around St. Louis, when there's a Toy Man show, check it out. There's always a lot of Star Wars goodness. One lady even had some Builder Droids from Disney, a two-pack that she wanted $40 for, which she says is a little lower than eBay pricing, and depending on the parts and things, it came with a full sticker sheet so you could have named them yourself. Yeah, that was pretty cool. She is there every single time, and she has a ton of Disney and Disney Star Wars things. From talking to her, we got into a bit of a conversation with her. It seems like she goes to Disney pretty regularly and then uses this toy show to fund her trips to Disney. And there's nothing wrong with that. So that was it from Toy Fair Toy Show. We'll take it back to the studio. So that is our show for this week. Now, right before we go, I do want to give an update on last week's repair or repurchase conversation. That show came out on Monday and on Tuesday. I started scouring the interweb to find a replacement for that snow globe. Things went poorly in the final stage of repair. Just when I was about to put it back together again, glued the list back in Santa's hands, had the distilled water all at the ready, Marjorie noticed Vader was separating from his base as well. Yeah, he's on this plastic plug, and I can only imagine that as it dried out, it contracted and separated from Vader. And it's a good size gap. Now, the options are filling it with the water-based epoxy and hoping that it stays. It might look kind of funky. If you noticed when I talked last week, what I said was I'm in favor of repair when repair can be done and it doesn't look junky. And so I started to try to glue the Vader back down on the base. I think I used not the best epoxy. It didn't dry clear. It dried white. And it also took three hours to begin to cure and 24 hours to fully harden. And this Vader, I tried rubber bands, I tried string, I could not get it to go back down on that base. And so I tried filling it with epoxy and made an epoxy mess. And I realized at that point, through my own attempted repair, I had ruined him. Well, he also had another problem, too, besides separating from his base. After removing him from the water, and I had to kind of clean him to get the algae off. He was slippery like a an aquarium. That's what it reminded me of as an aquarium that had been cleaned. That's what it smelled like was that weird aquarium smell and then it was slippery. So I really had to clean all the nooks and crannies of his cape and his chest plate and everything. And then as he dried out it's like he has this weird coating on him and it turned all milky. So now he's like this weird milky looking Vader and it's kind of crackly. So I, I can only imagine it's some kind of coating on him that maybe the water, I don't know. It's he needs to go away, unfortunately. We need to get a replacement. So if anyone knows where we can find one, let me know. I've added it to the Amazon wish list because it is on Amazon but unavailable. I also have literally a dozen different eBay save searches for snow globe, water globe, Vader globe. You name the combination. I've got it going on. But this seems to be one of the harder ones to find. It's from 2009. So if anyone has a tip, let me know. Otherwise... Patience is a virtue to the collector, as anyone who spent $100 on Wedge learned this week. That's our show for this week. Don't forget, donate stuff to Toys for Tots. Even if you only can do one extra toy or one extra action figure, it makes a difference. Agreed. 
But just remember, with Toys for Tots, it's not the thought that counts. It's actually putting the toy in the bin. If you think about putting a toy in the bin, it's not going to help anyone. You've got to actually go and do it. And even if it's just one action figure, that's one more toy for one more little child who wouldn't have it. So we'll be back next week as we start our 2012 year in review show with a whole bunch of special guests when we get the Swan crew together. Always a fun time. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at swactionnews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at swactionnews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at swactionnews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please visit YakFace.com and JediTempleArchives.com, and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is website designed by Jason, associate produced and announcements by Brock, reporters Jerry, Dan, Steve, and Justin, graphic design by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Barrett. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited. All rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved.